hungry heart. Yeah, stomach's growling. Lunchtime is here. And that wind, too. If you're heading out at lunch, you'll notice that wind is what's making it cold today. Temperatures are actually like around minus 21, which I think most of us would say that's not too bad. But the wind making it feel like minus 35 or something like that for much of the province. So it's the wind for sure. We will see some milder temperatures in the forecast. Still not a ton of snow in the forecast, which, of course, farmers are eagerly watching. They'd like to see sometime between now and the spring a couple good dumps of wet snow, which would help them out as they get ready for seeding, which really won't be be that long before we're talking about it, the way things go. Speaking of the farm, I'm always proud to say growing up on a farm, I'm proud of what this province can produce. So it's no surprise to me, I'm proud of the fact that there's some news coming out of the University of Saskatchewan. They've shared an analysis that was commissioned by the Global Institute for Food Security at the U of S, showing that Saskatchewan farmers are producing some of the least carbon-intensive crops in Canada and the world. It's pretty impressive stuff. Here to talk a little bit more about the study and the results, we've got Dr. Stephen Webb from the U of S joining us. He is with their Global Institute for Food Security and joins us from Saskatoon today. Dr. Webb, thanks for taking the call. Thank you for having me, and it's a great opportunity to share a really good news story. Yeah, is it ever. And before we get into the results, talk a little bit about the how you conducted this study. What did you have to do? Okay. Well, thanks. So at the Global Institute for Food Security, uh, we are we think about innovation and projects as partnerships and working together with others. We commissioned this study to understand the in detail contribution of different technologies, impacts, and innovations, how farmers farm and practice on the impact it has on the carbon footprint of the crops that we produce here in Saskatchewan, Western Canada, Canada, and in comparison to some of our competitor countries as well. And again, this work was done in partnership with uh, the PRISM Lab out of the University of British Columbia. And with carbon life cycle analysis, there's some very rigorous international standards on how you are supposed to count uh, carbon contributions to off-gas or greenhouse gas emissions. And we followed all of the standard requirements to do the calculations because, again, uh, this is an important topic, and we wanted to make sure that we the work that we were publishing here and reporting on could stand up to rigorous review. A couple other things that we did is not only did we follow the standards for counting carbon contributions, we also recognized that in agriculture, how you farm makes a difference in terms of the carbon footprint. And we also looked at the contribution that soil has towards carbon, uh, either as additional carbon production or in the case of here in, in Saskatchewan and Western Canada, where the soil and how we farm actually can store carbon. Interesting stuff. Dr. Stephen Webb joining me today, CEO and Executive Director of the Global Institute for Food Security at the University of Saskatchewan. So what did your study produce? What did you find? Well, we found that, like you said at the very beginning, that we do produce some of the lowest carbon footprint crops anywhere in the world. And again, uh, for Canada, for Saskatchewan in particular, between the global mean average, we're 67% smaller footprint than uh, the global mean average for canola. When you look at the same trend in non-Durham wheat, Durham wheat, lentils, and peas, you consistently see that Canada is 
low, but Saskatchewan is even lower, and Western Canada is somewhere in between the Canadian average and the Saskatchewan average in terms of the carbon footprint. And it's really about innovation and the widespread adoption of innovative tools and technologies that farmers have made here in Saskatchewan and, and, and across Canada. That's what I was going to ask you next is, okay, it's good that we're doing this, but how do we do it? Well, the contributions from technologies that I know here we tend to take for granted, which I think is a mistake, but the contribution that uh, no-till and minimum tillage have on the results is significant. The adoption of other tools and technologies that have occurred over the last 25 years, such as herbicide-tolerant canola, is also very relevant to the study. So the thing that has been the most impactful with respect to the uh, widespread adoption here in Saskatchewan of no-till and minimum tillage, so over 90% adoption by producers, is that our soils in Saskatchewan actually capture carbon as opposed to countries like the United States, France, Germany, and others that we investigate. The tillage, the conventional tillage practices that farmers practice in those countries tend to, or not tend to, do produce greenhouse gas emissions or release carbon dioxide into the environment and to make it even add to the problem, as opposed to here, we take it away. So our net is lower. And again, it's because of widespread adoption of these tools and technologies. And it's also a bit of a reflection here in Canada. And one of the other big things for me from the study is it's the innovation story but also having a regulatory environment that allows us to bring these innovative tools and technologies into the marketplace because they make a difference both economically and environmentally. Chatting today with Dr. Stephen Webb, CEO and Executive Director of the Global Institute for Food Security at the University of Saskatchewan. So we we get a check mark for sure. We get a sticker for producing some of the least carbon-intensive crops in Canada and the world. What does this mean? How does this translate to be a good thing for Saskatchewan? Well, I think one of the things that I think is very important in terms of as various companies, and we, we, want, we export to the world, we sell our products to the world, and it's important from an economic perspective. Companies are looking for, again, as they get into understanding their carbon footprint, they, need to, they want to be in a position to be able to source from the lowest environmentally impacting the lowest carbon footprint crops. This is a great story to help support the uh, the export and sale of Canadian products, of Western Canadian products, and especially Saskatchewan products for companies that are interested in that feature. Because, again, it's a really important differentiator, if you will, for our products in the international marketplace where that the price is important, but also this is a, and a plus benefit on the, on the carbon story as well. I also think that this is a really important study for another for both Saskatchewan and Canada because you do see differences at the national level, at the regional level, and at the provincial level. And that shows us that you just can't say at a national level, do this and this is acceptable. You have to optimize it for the re- your specific region. So embrace the regional differences. One size does not fit all. And then the other thing for the rest of the world, I think – People are, you know, we have to ask the question, why has have these tools and technologies not been adopted broadly in other countries? There is always perceived as a risk to change. And here in Canada, 
we're operating at scale. I mean, you can't get bigger than 40% of heritable land here in, in Canada in the province of Saskatchewan that is over 90% practicing these types of technologies that have delivered this economic and environmental footprint. So de-risking adoption as well, a template, if you will. This is good stuff. You're developing a great marketing campaign for our province to build, to tout this for sure. Dr. Stephen Webb, University of Saskatchewan and the Global Institute for Food Security. Before I let you go, what, what else are you working on? You've always got great projects on the go. Anything you want to highlight? Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks. Uh, we've got a, we've got at the Global Institute for Food Security, we have three programs. Policy and regulation is one of them. And that's where this current project, uh, was conducted. The other two are biomanufacturing and accelerated breeding. And that's the one that I think is the most exciting for us here in the province of, uh, in the province of Saskatchewan and actually across the entire country is, uh, Certain crops like corn and soybeans and, and production animals like um, uh, the dairy industry, broilers, layers, hogs, have benefited from applying this genomic selection and accelerating the, the performance of the plants and animals. Crops are really important to us here in Saskatchewan and also important to that crop rotation that's part of the sustainability story for how good our footprint is, like you know, the small grain cereals, the wheats, the barleys, the uh, the oil seeds like flax and uh, canola, and, of course, the pulses like peas and lentils. They do not benefit from the, uh, the deployment of accelerated breeding to really change the speed at which new varieties can be introduced to farmers and improve the rate of genetic gain. We're leaving about $30 billion at the farm gate right now because our productivity is not going as fast as it could. And this is one way that we hope to work with all the partners across the value chain to bring this to producers here in Saskatchewan and Western Canada. Innovative stuff. Yeah. It's great. Uh, Dr. Webb, I appreciate the fact you're doing this and uh, you are, uh, you're helping our farmers, you're helping our province, and uh, I'm proud that it's being done right here in Saskatchewan. So thanks so much for giving us some time today. Thank you. Take care. Dr. Stephen Webb, CEO and Executive Director of Global Institute for Food Security at the University of Saskatchewan with their recent report that shows Saskatchewan farmers, good on you, are producing some of the least carbon-intensive crops in Canada. Absolutely something we should be, and I'm sure will be, marketing to the rest of the world. You're listening to 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Well, we're about... 30 minutes, a little more than 30 minutes away from hearing what the STF has planned on Monday. They're calling a news conference at 1 o'clock, and uh, our newsroom will be locked into that and bring you the details as soon as we know what the plans are for the STF. What is it going to mean for you? Is school going on as per normal, or is there going to be another strike? And if so, for how long? Maybe it's job action that's going to affect after-school activities. Supervision could be a whole bunch of things. Could be rotating strikes in the province. We've seen that before. Haven't seen a teacher strike since 2011 in this province. So you never know. We'll find out. We will keep you posted on that. And in the meantime, people have been weighing in this morning. We've been talking about the teachers a lot. And I always appreciate the texts that come in at one 332 8255 I got a teacher perspective here. Scott Moe was on the show this morning, and from a teacher's perspective, Scott Moe did a lot of talking today without really saying anything. He has done absolutely no listening to his constituents. The sanctions 
to come are 100% on him. I urge all community members listening to read the conciliation report. It's clear which side was trying to have the conversation and which side said very little except for no. One of the texts that we got in. Here's another one. Mike in Regina said, it wouldn't matter what the government did. The teachers would never be happy with a conservative government. The number one problem in elementary school, math makes sense. This math was garbage, nonsense to use. It was of no use to anyone. Number two, elementary issue, nobody has held back. Mike and Regina goes on to say the number one issue in high school, math teachers should be math majors. We would never allow someone who doesn't play or know music, sports, or mechanics ability to do training and teaching in music, football, or shop class. Why are we allowing teachers with little or no math skills to teach math? Number two issue, special needs kids integrated into core subject classes. It's overloading teachers and doing a disservice to all the kids involved. So some good texts coming in, and and that's the challenge is, you know, we get lots of calls, lots of texts. We try to get as many as we can. That is part of the reason why tomorrow we're going to open it up even further. We're going to have the better part of an hour. And this isn't counting bugs and hugs, by the way. That happens separate from this. But we'll have a good chunk of time tomorrow to talk about teachers. We'll revisit the conversations that we've had this week and talk about the the points that we've heard from the various different players in this. And we'll get your thoughts. That phone line is always open for you at one 332 8255 We'll uh, hit some texts. We'll uh, get some calls on the air. And we'll continue to talk about this important conversation. And, of course, by then, we'll know what the next step is likely to be with the teachers. Again, that that uh, news conference is scheduled for 1 o'clock today, and we will continue to follow that. So tomorrow on the show, more on teachers. We'll also hit up bugs and hugs. So every Friday, we give you a chance to call in and let us know what's bugging you or something that you think deserves a hug that you're happy about, you're excited about. We'll talk about that tomorrow. It's Eaton Time with Belton Johnson. Well, this is an interesting one, too. At one time, Saskatchewan had a dominant presence when it came to NHL players. Per capita, we were churning out more NHL players than, I think, any other province in Canada. And Canada, of course, proportionate to the rest of the world, was dominating the NHL. We've got an author of a book coming by to join us tomorrow that explores the fact that this is actually going the other way. Saskatchewan doesn't have the stronghold it once did. His book is called A Whole New Game, Economics, Politics, and the Transformation of the Business of Hockey in Canada. That'll be happening tomorrow morning as well. It's going to be another full day. It starts at 8.30. I hope you'll join us right here on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.